what's been on my mind uh, lately quite a bit has been um, I've been in a lot of transition in my life. I uh, recently got engaged and I recently I'm about to graduate graduate school, which I've been in for a couple years. I'm about to go out of town for two months. I'm about to sit a month-long retreat. <clears throat> and sometimes when I'm in transition, I feel a lot of panic, a lot of fear. Um, and if I'm not careful... I'll really live from a place my ground doesn't become my body and my breath and sounds and what's available like we just did in sitting, but it becomes my ground becomes panic and fear. <laughs> and I can live from that place. It's a habit, it's a practice that I've practiced a good majority of my life. And I feel like in practicing the Dharma and practicing Buddhist practice, especially in the meditative aspect of Buddhist practice, a lot of what I am hoping to develop as a foundation is some patience, some of, a, some of an ability to slow down in a way. There's a quote that I like to talk about a lot. A novelist, Milan Kundra, talks about the demon of speed. And he says that speed's associated with forgetting and with avoidance and slowness with confronting. And he said we move slowly when we want to accept ourselves and the world around us. And so it's not always such good news, I feel like, to sit down and to meditate. A lot of dirt can be kicked up in the process. A lot of momentum, a lot of busyness. And it's so interesting because in the, in, you know, especially with more popular culture, the sense that I get is that mindfulness is kind of taking on this persona as a way out of the busyness and the momentum but really I feel a lot of times like it's a way like into that momentum in a way of confronting I feel like the Dharma is largely a subtractive rather than an additive practice. I talked about this some last week of like I really feel like what I'm being asked to do is to uh, to shed what's in the way rather than to create another thing that I have to do. Like, oh, I, now i got to meditate and i got to be kind and then I have all these lists of shit I've got to do, right? i got to speak in the right way and act in the right way, right? The Eightfold Path is full of lists of things to do. But... Mostly, I feel like um, this story, the Buddha talking about 
the Dharma as being the uncovering of an ancient ruin really holds the most true for me. I feel like what I'm being asked to do is to dig deep. Right? Carl Jung said, we don't obtain enlightenment by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So the latter is not preferable. (laughs) And so in this uncovering I feel like I'm being asked to take a seat in the middle of my life. What's happening now, right? This present moment awareness is about coming into contact with what's here, what's available, what's real, and then being willing to experience the conditions as they present themselves. And this is great news when the conditions are pleasant, when I have enough money, I got the right girl, I got the right clothes. Right? I like looking at the conditions. It's it's preferable, right? It's like, man, I did such a good job at this life thing, right? <laughs> When it comes to loss and grief and sorrow and the end of relationships and the losing of the job and the these things that are also very real, relatable parts of our lives, I feel like I'm not so interested in being present for. The Buddha was a little bit radical in the way that he taught. It's probably why my adolescent self like loves uh, the story of the Buddha and the archetypal story of the Buddha. They sometimes refer to the Buddha as the rebel saint. He started with the problem in a way, kind of like a doctor would diagnose the problem, right? I don't go into the doctor and he says, great, all you need to do is do this and exercise more. And I'm like, what's wrong with me, right? Why do I need to do that? And so the first noble truth, the first uh, view that I think that I'm looking at, I'm looking into in my practice is that inherent in life is a degree of, on one end of the spectrum could say suffering, which I always say has actually been very real for me. I feel like you could stop at suffering and I, uh, I'm on board. Inherent in life is suffering. By even 13 or 14 years old, I was like, yes, definitely. But this word, uh, dukkha, this Pali Sanskrit word, inherent in life is dukkha, really means mostly like some level of unsatisfactoriness, uh, some level of dis-ease, stress, bumpiness, friction. 
that life has given me a body uh, that is not always reliable, that gets sick from time to time, that as I get older, weird shit happens to it. It changes, it aches. That life has given me Sometimes gives me what I like and what I enjoy and what I want. And sometimes I don't get what I want. I get hit with a whole lot of conditions of things that are disagreeable. There's pleasure, there's pain, there's gain, there's loss, there's praise, there's blame, there's status, there's disgrace. And I really appreciated when I came in here, I actually felt really relieved to hear this. Because I felt my whole life like I was fucking doing it wrong or something. You know, for real, I felt like I was just doing it wrong. Everyone else, you know, something's different. You know, I felt stress. I was very sensitive. I was very attuned to the suffering in the world and in my life. Sometimes this is referred to as like the wisdom of dissatisfaction. And so I feel like the Buddha intended this truth to not be taught as a truth. Actually, the word is satya. It means just thing. So the noble thing. And it was actually, I feel, more asked to be practiced. To embrace dukkha. To embrace suffering. To embrace the stressful nature of being alive. The ups and downs. The change. The pleasure. The pain. This is where we get our name against the stream is like turning against my tendency to want to avoid, to manipulate my way out of the pain. And still to this day, it's like the last option I pick is, okay, I'll embrace the pain. (laughs) It's like, you know, I even use the Dharma to try to outsmart suffering. It's like, well, I know the fucking list, and I know if I do this, and I'm just really aware of it, right? But the meanwhile, I'm like holding my body, and I'm like, I'm aware of it. But it's not coming in. And so, you know, and I like this idea of like letting in before letting go. I love, I like, I'm, I'm so down with letting go. I like that idea. <laughs> I'm all about letting go of some shit that's not serving me and that's, you know, painful. And, and, and developing insight and developing self-awareness and developing wisdom... It, you know, these things come from understanding. Right? Like anything that I have any type of experiential insight from, something I could really tell you my experience with, right? Like I used to skate a whole lot growing up. 
I could tell you like how to skate. Well, you got to do this and that, but it's totally different when you put, you know, when you jump on the board and you try to actually do it. You, you know, likely to bust your ass and. And so I have the map. I have the knowledge. But the wisdom, I feel like, comes from understanding, from actually busting my ass, right? And being like, oh, I can't do that. I can't turn like that on this board, right? I remember the first time I ever got on a skateboard, I went to the top of a six-foot mini ramp. And I was, like, young, so this thing was taller than me. And I got up, I was like, this is easy, right? Like, I I saw everyone do it. I saw what they did. They put the tail end on the end of the rail and then they just went right down the ramp and I did it and I fell straight on my face like straight on my face and I like looked around I was like my head was rattling I was like looking around to see if anyone saw me You know, and, 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 like, even with experiences like that, just, like, being really patient and really gentle with the approach. Like, I don't feel like anything, um, there are all these lists and great, you know, Buddhist psychology and the aggregates and, you know, how we talk about the mind and all of this shit to explore. And it's really great, but I feel like that, that the heart of the Dharma needs to be uh, accessible. You know, I feel like the foundation of developing wisdom and understanding and letting in is something that's already here. And so it's like, what's getting in the way of that? What's getting in the way? Buddha's encouragement in teaching mindfulness was to practice mindfulness internally, externally, and both. So if you actually read through the discourses when we talk about the four foundations of mindfulness, body and breath awareness, feeling awareness, the awareness of mind states. Right? When we go into these areas, he, he encouraged uh, an internal practice of feeling and knowing and becoming intimate with my body, with my feelings, with my mental patterns. And also in relationship with one another. Of tuning in to... Right, like I like that idea of like tuning in to what's happening right now. Because there's a lot happening, and we know and uh, that attention's present in every mind moment. So every time I'm awake, my attention is somewhere. Right? And so there's so many things to pay attention to, and I, you know, I can kind of get caught up in these ones that are really anxiety-provoking and fear-provoking. It's like, I've got to get these ones under wrap, and I sometimes don't make time to acknowledge some more of the fullness of what's happening. Of tuning in. I like looking at uh, this idea of empathy. 
empathy is, uh, in a way, I feel like the first part of empathy, and Paul Ekman talks about this quite a bit, is like just the cognitive empathy of like being able to look at someone and be like, oh, okay, they're kind of pissed off. Or just kind of knowing from on the surface level. Uh, being able to tune into my environment and having uh, the reference point a little bit. Like, I know what this is like, but not really necessarily feeling with, which is the second kind of emotional empathy of then actually dropping into the field of what's happening, the body, the breath, the heart, the emotional experience, and being able to feel with what's happening. And then I feel like, and Paul Ekman talks about the third area of, of empathy that we develop is this compassionate field of empathy, which is not just a feeling with, but a responding to. The part of our heart that can feel so much of like, I understand this pain, I feel this pain, I know this pain, and I... And I know that the wise response is to care for or to meet this pain. The Pali Sanskrit word for compassion is karuna. And it means, when translated, it means a quivering of the heart in response to pain. My first big... Uh, you know, I'm one of these analytical types. It's like I want to figure this shit out. And so I came in here and I was like, oh, okay, cool, the lists and the things and suffering, right? I loved that. And I was like, all right, I like the suffering and the mind, all of these things. And I was, you know, and I was also told, okay, and there are these heart practices that you want to do. Cultivating, developing, practicing compassion actively. Practicing, letting in, right? Because it's a practice, it's not... So much just a good idea, but something to do. And so practicing letting in. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of good on that stuff. And I want to understand suffering. I'm not so interested in sitting here and telling myself I love you. And I did anyway. I think I... I uh, I felt so much relief from just being able to sit and being able to set aside some of the stuff just for a moment and being able to come into my direct experience. And I got a sense, I remember like taking a deep breath in and breath out and for that moment not being caught up in the insanity of my mind and being like, oh wow, that's a relief. That feels good. And so I was like, well, maybe I'm, I'm willing to practice and to try these other things. And I remember I would do heart practice, and uh, my teacher, Dave, would, uh, he would tell me, at the time the song was a lot smaller, so I just like took up all of his time asking him questions. <laughs> and I would write down the phrases that he told me. So he would say, like, you know, uh, in, in heart practice, a lot of times we use phrases. 
usually three or four different phrases. And so I would write them down and I would sit there on my cushion. I would open my eyes and I'd read the phrase and then I'd close my eyes and say it. Just this practice of like learning what to say, like even on the right, the first level of empathy, this kind of cognitive, just like knowing what is that? What is compassion? And then I went to a day-long retreat, and I remember actually the first time that I, um, probably not the first time, but the first time after I started practicing, I really dropped into this felt sense of this movement of my heart in response to pain. I was sitting, and Dave was guiding this like 40, entirely too long period of <laughs> compassion meditation, like 40 <laughs> minutes or something. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, all right, all right. And I'm saying the phrases, and I would gotten some practice, and I'd say in the phrases. And I don't know, I don't remember what it was, but I just, like, started feeling all of this, like, emotional pain in my chest. And I felt, like, this heaviness and this, like, welling of emotion in my chest. I remember feeling like it was just so painful. And I was breathing in, I was saying these phrases, and I was like, it's not working, it's just so painful, it's so painful, it's so painful. And I realized, and my mind realized that the pain itself, that that feeling itself was compassion. Right, that, that it was already actually in there, that I didn't have to do anything, that my willingness to feel my pain was enough. That my caring for my pain was enough. uncovering this idea that once I get to some place or I meditate enough or I then I'll be able to be compassionate and caring. And it also helped me out because it helped me with this understanding that I feel like compassion is actually not a very pleasant feeling. This movement of the heart or the quivering of the heart in response to pain. I feel like compassion has some prerequisite of willingness. It's like a willingness to be with. I think of the Buddha story a lot of times of like this uh, probably mythological story of him sitting under the Bodhi tree and um, basically making a commitment to not leave, to not leave until something uh, had alleviated his suffering. And it was, I feel like, his own heart. It's an inside job. And even with all of the forces of Mara that visited him, this... Uh, Right, all of the voices that tried to talk him into getting up. Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're sitting here. And so I feel like compassion uh, requires for myself some willingness. When I think of, I'm a visual thinker, and so I, when I hear something, I really I relate to it with some type of image or... And I think of my grandmother as one of these people that comes to mind when I think of compassion. Um, 
because, like, I could tell my grandma anything, and she won't give a shit, <laughs> you know, like, she has lived so long, she's like this Ukrainian woman, she's been a nurse her whole life, she's seen, like, the craziest shit, you know, and I can sit there, and I can talk to her, and say some just wild stuff, and she's, like, just willing to be there with me, it's not even so much, she doesn't even ever, she's not very, like, overly kind or like heartwarming or anything but she just like sits there and she's cool with it and she's definitely willing to listen you know and she laughs a lot a lot of times inappropriately it's like <laughs> so this internal compassion I feel like is so important to commit to, you know, as I consider bringing compassion out into the world, into this external practice of being with others. Because if I don't really understand and embrace my suffering, how am I going to really understand and embrace your suffering? And I don't think that, I think that we can do both, for sure. You know, I'm also thinking about a lot of times conversations that I've had with folks and times where I've been in a lot of pain and have shared something with someone and have, uh, the, you know, the, having the person think what they gave was a compassionate response, but really more an invitation to fix me or to change me, to not really willing to be with my pain, but, uh, hey, how about this is making me uncomfortable right now and I don't really want to... You know, or just a, just a not knowing of themselves of like, what is this? And I, on the same, in the same respect of like, there are times where I feel so overwhelmed by the presence of someone's pain. I have a friend, a good friend of mine that I've made an effort to connect with over the past year. And she has uh, had a long diagnosis of cancer, and it's uh, come back, and she has to go back through chemotherapy, and um, it's very aggressive. And I felt so, the absence of ease in my body when I uh, was talking to her, she is sharing this with me of like, you know, I don't really actually know how to be with this right now. I've never dealt with this. I don't know what this would even be like. I don't feel worthy of this information or even of being at this intimate of a level in your life. And so I actually, I just asked her how she wanted me to be with her. I said, wow, I imagine, I, I imagine that this is so painful for you and your family, I have no experience with this. What has your relationship been with people in your life? How has it changed? How do you want me to be here for you as a friend? How would you like me to support you? This is interesting. I also had a friend whose uh, both of his parents got in a car accident and his father died and his mother is in critical condition and I, taught, I asked him the same question, and he said, actually, I don't want to talk about it right now. He said, I just want to laugh 
Like, I have been so exhausted for the past three weeks. And I was like, cool, right? I can do that. I got that. You know, the mind, my mind is so tricky. It can build up all of these, like, rules and guidelines for what's the right way to hold my pain and hold your pain what's the right way to be what's what's you know how do i need to get this right and i like insight practice this this practice of active inquiry of asking more questions than having answers of like oh being curious about what is this like right now And then when pain is there, when sorrow is there, when loss is there, being curious about how can I meet this? How can I stay with this? I'll share some practical uh, knowledge that I got from Noah Levine that I like a a whole lot. He talks about the road to compassion. He said that, you know, like early on in uh, a lot of us are in recovery or coming to a meditation practice and starting to commit some time to sitting. He said one of the things that we're trying to do in some way is just to try to hate this moment less. And I felt like that was really practical, especially where I was at when I came here. I was like, you know, this is really, like, I hated this so much. We would sit for 30 minutes, and I thought it was so crazy. And I would just sit, and, like, my, I feel like my brain was boiling. I'd have so much anxiety, and, like, my body hurt, and, of course, I was stubborn, and so I came in, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a Buddhist, and I got sat on the mat, and I'd never sat cross-legged since, like, kindergarten, right, and I come and I sit on the mat, and, like, my legs fall asleep in 30 seconds. There's so much pain, and there's so much agitation and distraction, and then all of this judgment about how I'm not doing this right, if I was meditating right, my mind would be calm and clear and collected. And I look at the picture of the Buddha, I'm like, I look nothing inside like he looks on his face. Right? I'm totally fucking doing this wrong. And thank God for some desperation. I was like, all right, I'm going to come anyway, whatever. You know, and so I like this offering of just like, can I hate this less? And I feel like most of the time that's, that's possible. It's like, all right, cool, I can still really hate this, but I can just hate it a little bit less. <laughs> and then moving from hating less to a way of a practice of tolerating. Of being like, I still don't really like this. I kind of hate it a little bit. But I'm willing to be with it. I'm going to tolerate it. I'm going to sit through it. And I like this in, even in the simple practice in the form of sitting. You know, as we start to sit and we maybe sit half-day retreats or go on long retreats or whatever, and noticing discomfort in the body and the mind uh, automatically saying, move, 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 right? Move your leg, it's falling asleep. Itch your face. 
right? Instead, like hanging out for a second and building a little bit of tolerance. Being like, how bad is this really? And then how bad is my mind telling me it is? Right? This kind of distress tolerance of maybe I can actually sit with this for a little while. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it will change. Developing some tolerance for what is unpleasant. And then moving into, uh, I really like Noah's teaching on including this word mercy. Which, that word alone brings up, if anything, uh, distaste for the word or uh, not too into it, right? But when he, he described mercy as... When you have an opportunity to cause more harm and you choose not to. So when, like, I could sit here and talk, you know, okay, I can tolerate this, but I'm not doing it right, and I'm not, and and sit here and judge myself and doubt myself, and, right, and even in relationships when I'm sitting with something that's painful or someone's really angry and agitated and irritable, And like, I've tolerated it, I've tolerated it, I've tolerated it. And I have my little passive remarks I'm saying, right? And being able to see that and saying, you know, in a way of like, can I just not make this any harder on myself or any harder on this other person? And then maybe moving into... Um, you know, okay, the conditions are right, I can tolerate, I don't want to create harm in this situation, my intentions are in line here, and can I uh, maybe spend the time with this willingness to open, to be present, to engage, to care for, The balancing factor of all of these heart practices is uh, this practice of equanimity is what it's called. The word is upeka, and it means there in the middleness. It's this kind of balancing factor. It's the wisdom factor that knows that sometimes actually uh, caring needs to have limits. It needs to have boundaries. needs to have... This understanding that I am responsible, right? that I, that my happiness, that my well-being, that my ability to recover from this suffering or to work through this suffering is actually my responsibility. I have to do the work, and that no one can do that for me. That I can have support, and that I can have camaraderie, and I can have friendship. but that I have to show up with the willingness and I have to do the work. And just as that's true for me, it's true for all beings. And so in relationship with others of like, I can be here for you and I can care for you and I can support you. And I understand that your happiness and well-being is completely dependent upon your actions and not my wishes. And I still wish that for you. 
right? And it's tricky. You know, it's tricky because sometimes I feel like I, compa- I need to dig a little deeper into the compassion wing. And sometimes I feel like You know, maybe my limits are I'm wearing thin. We can get the compassion fatigue, right? Of letting too much in and taking care of ourselves in that way. Maybe sometimes the compassionate thing to do is to not answer the phone. Is to have this, and you know, I, for myself, like, I kind of sometimes have this arrogant sense that I can really, that this equanimity doesn't exist, that I can save this person, right? That I am so uh, essential in their life that if I don't answer the phone, and it doesn't come out that way, but my, my actions are in line with that. And I think that cultivating, developing some type of mindfulness practice and having this awareness and taking the time every day to slow down and to tune in and to check in with ourselves and being like, you know, what is it like for me? What has been stressful? What has been painful? What has been easeful? What has been, you know, considering and reflecting and taking some time to contemplate what's happening can really help me to better navigate when do I need to have limits and when do I need to dig deeper into caring and to and so I'd like to take some time to practice together and then we'll have plenty of time for discussion Uh, maybe if you want to stretch for a couple minutes or run to the restroom we'll start in uh, just a couple minutes